Welcome to the CCW Safe Podcast with Rob High and Philip Naiman. I'd like to welcome everybody to the CCW Safe Podcast. I'm Rob High, uh, joined today with with us here in the studio uh, by our critical response team manager Gary Eastridge, and then we've got Philip Naiman out in California with us again. Welcome, Phil. How you, how you doing, buddy? Doing fantastic. How about yourself? Really good, buddy. Thank you. Um, we want to be a little on the serious side today. Uh, we have had a pretty significant increase in some members having unintentional discharges of firearms. Um, most of the time, these would fall into the negligent discharge category. Um, and a lot of that stuff can be handled and addressed just by uh, heating the four uh, gun safety rules. Um, and the very first and foremost always is uh, to always treat every single gun as if it's loaded. Um, even if I just get done cleaning a gun, the handling of that gun stays exactly the same. Um, I, don't, I don't make a change because I, I know there's not a magazine in it or something like that. I've seen guys without a magazine in their gun not realize that they had something in the pipe and they touch it off and, and all of a sudden you're, you're having to explain why your ears are ringing uh, and there's a hole in your refrigerator. Um, I also want to make sure that I never let the muzzle of that firearm cross something that I don't have an intent to destroy. Um, it's just one of those things that we, we always talk about safe handling and uh, paying attention to these rules, but that they, you know, I've seen seasoned gun owners, seasoned shooters make these very same mistakes. Um, and they're always preventable. Um, it's just a, you know, you get a little lax and you, and you start, you know, cutting forward from, you know, instead of going A, B, C, D, E, you just go, well, I go A to E. Um, the other part of that is, you know, whether you have a built-in safety on a firearm or not, you always have a safety on, on a firearm. Your primary safety is your trigger finger. So I always keep that in a, in a high register along the frame of the gun. I never put it inside the trigger well or touch the trigger until I am on target and, and I've, got, I've, I've got a sight picture and I know that I've got a safe background. Everything's ready to go. Then I engage the trigger. It doesn't take long to do that. It, it can happen really, really fast. You watch, watch guys that really know how to run a gun and it's just milliseconds. Um, and then finally, uh, to always understand and be sure what that backdrop is. It, is it safe to discharge a gun over here? And in the event that I go beyond that target, is there anything there that I'm gonna destroy? That's why we shoot into a pit or a berm or something like that. Um, eat, go ahead. Dan. I was just going to say, Robin, uh, kind of touch on something that you touched on. I, I'm a firm believer that complacency is the yeah. cause of the vast majority of unintentional discharges. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I see it. Uh, we've seen it in law enforcement. Uh, over and over by guys who handle guns every day, mm -hmm. that it's a tool of their trade. Uh, Academy made of mine actually shot himself. You mentioned a hole in the refrigerator. You hope that there's only a hole in the refrigerator. Yeah, for sure. Uh, not through the wall into your neighbor's apartment or through yourself or one of your family members. Uh, I had an, we had an officer who disassembling a Glock and anybody that's owned the Glock knows you have to pull the trigger to, to, uh, um, uh, disassemble it. 
uh, and he Very got his yeah he got his uh, steps out of order uh, and uh, ended up removing the magazine, failed to clear the next round or the round in the chamber, turned the gun around and the way he placed it, luckily it just was a flesh wound through the side of the stomach. Yeah. But had that gun been treated as loaded and he was aware of where it was pointed, uh, it, it, it wouldn't have happened. Yeah. I think on the uh, accidental or negligent discharges really is what they are. Mm -hmm. I think the kind of bar build, you have people who are not very experienced with firearms and that, that trick on the Glock catches a lot of people. Yeah. You know, we hear about that quite often. In order to remove the slide, you have to depress the trigger and have it uncocked. <clears throat> and if you haven't, if you've been negligent in clearing your gun, you're going to get a, a round sent some direction, right? Which is what happened to the person you're describing. Uh, I've heard many, many stories about the Glocks like that. So you have one area of people who are not familiar. And then the other one, as you said, is complacency. The guys that shoot all the time, you know, and, and they make a direction. Uh, the other thing is sometimes you can get away with breaking one rule. The gentleman who shot himself with the Glock, right? He did not treat the gun as if it was loaded. That's one rule. He did not have a pointer in a safe direction. That was the second. The second's what bit him personally. Mm -hmm. He may have killed his television set or a bookshelf or the refrigerator, but because he literally had the gun pointing to his body, uh, the snake bit him. You know, so that's sometimes why, if you... I was going to say, that's why we emphasize not flagging each other when we're on the range. Rob and I just had an experience up at the, the, the big Tulsa gun show uh, where we had a, a, a man that appeared to have some experience handling guns, had apparently just purchased a new gun and was he flagged, I think, every person in the building. Rob went over to him and said, hey, please, you're, you're pointing your gun at everybody. His first response was, no, I'm not. Rob said, yes, you are. Well, his second response is, well, it's unloaded. Well, this was less than an hour following a negligent discharge at a dealer's booth uh, 50 yards from where Rob and I were. No way. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah, I was so already a little gun shy. I don't like being on the muzzle end of a gun. So, no, there's no reason to be there. <laughs> Something I wanted to kick in was you guys talked about complacency. Another thing I've seen with um, especially newer gun owners or even people who've owned a gun for a long time but don't actually have a lot of experience when it comes time to shoot or handle them is kind of a task saturation thing. Yes. When you start adding drills or they're trying to do more than one thing at a time, if you don't have that experience of handling a gun and just having that ingrained, you know, some people call it muscle memory, whatever you want to call it. I've heard a lot of trainers uh, refer to it as basically you have those processes so ingrained that they're kind of running in the background right. yeah. to where you always, and if you're around really experienced guys, it's interesting to watch. I've been around them in classes or just cleaning guns in a group or something like that. Someone will walk, they won't even be paying attention to the person, but someone will walk across yeah. where their muzzle is and you will see them dip that muzzle to yes. make sure that person doesn't walk in front of it. Yeah. And that's just that awareness. But um, yeah. yeah, I think for especially people that, everybody, but especially people, like if you're going to your first training class or you're taking someone else to shoot, you know, you're so focused on that other person and what they're doing and that you're, you know, telling them the right things, you know, that task saturation can really, can really, I've seen it bite a lot of people. So yeah, that's a very good point, Justin. One of the things that I experience, I do a lot of LEOSA qualification for retired officers. And what I see a lot, especially with guys who have handled guns for decades yeah. and now they're not going to the range regularly for qualifications they're not is they don't have those safety rules as ingrained 
they may remember one and three, but not two, or, or you, you see a, a lack of even understanding the equipment they're carrying. Um, I've, I've had guys with decockers that didn't know they had to decock the gun after a, a, a series. Uh, so uh, yeah, I think that's a very good point. And I agree with you, Phil, it's, it's kind of a barbell. You see it with new shooters and then as, especially if you've ever had a negligent discharge, and I will confess I've had one, and it was completely, absolutely my fault and no one else's. Uh, luckily, I followed number one. I didn't follow number two. I made an assumption because I'd racked the slide and nothing came out that it was unloaded. Uh, when I should have checked the chamber, it was a 22 semi-automatic pistol, uh, and a lot of those require the blowback of the action to actually help extract the uh, any um, shell from the chamber. And sometimes the extractors will slip off of a live round, and that's what happened. And like a dummy, instead of using a uh, the decocker that this pistol had on it, I pointed it at the kitchen counter and pulled the trigger. And it was really loud, I can tell you that. <laughs> uh, I've got one for you, as long as we're telling ND stories. Um, I've had one, and it was luckily the safest possible way you could have one. But I was at a bowling pin match in the late 90s. And nobody shoots bowling pins anymore, but yeah. for those unfamiliar, what it is is a 4 by 8 table with some pins one foot back from the edge. And you run it on time, and you have to shoot the pins off of the table. And there was three guys on the line, three tables of pins, and I had just got a new 1911 compensated 45 pin gun that was built to shoot these pins. And it had about a two pound trigger in it. And uh, I was super excited, right? And <laughs> so I'm up there and what they would do before um, you, you did your run is you could go up and you could take sight pictures across the pins and then you would put the muzzle on the table and then they would start everybody and you would all shoot. So what I had always done in the past is with a 1911 safety on. So I would just take up the slack on the trigger with the safety on. Terrible practice. But I'd gotten away with it, right? So that's how you see how accidents are a chain of uh, things. Wait, wait a second here. I've shot your 1911s. There's no slack on that trigger. <laughs> <laughs> Not anymore. Uh, so I'm taking up. So I go up, and as I'm, I'm taking up the slack, I'm taking up the slack, and I see this beautiful sight picture, and all of a sudden it was the loudest noise I've ever heard in my life is that gun went off. And everybody looked at me. <laughs> and it was a beautiful shot. Pin swept right off the table. What had happened was this gun had a different thumb safety. was much lighter. As I was going across, I wasn't paying attention. I had disengaged the thumb safety. And I've never, I could still tell you everything about that moment. And it was over <laughs> 25 years ago. And the, the outcome of that was was very embarrassing for you, I'm sure, and especially in front of a bunch of other shooters. Oh, yeah. I worked a case or had some involvement in it. It was actually worked by another agency uh, where a young man had a 1911. He had just bought it that day. He was a Air Force airman. Uh, he's in his apartment, and he's got this new 1911, and he'd load it and put it up on the shelf. And he'd get it down and he would unload it and he would dry fire a little bit. And he repeated this about three or four times into where he was just having fun with it, got casual, uh, picks it up. His dry fire turned into a wet fire <laughs> and it went through the wall. The sad thing is uh, about two days later, he hadn't seen his neighbor and he went to the maintenance man and said, Hey, have you seen Mrs. Whatever her name was? They forced entry and found her dead with his 230 grain ball, uh, struck her in the temple. Oh. This young man serving his country, a good person is, he's out by now, but right. ended up going to prison for manslaughter. Yeah. yeah. Oh. Complacency, so man. 
There's nothing like a wake-up call, and hopefully no one is hurt. Unfortunately, according to the statistics I read uh, researching this, uh, this for this uh, podcast, about 400 people a year die in the United States from negligent discharges or unintentional discharges, the vast and, and majority, the majority of which are neglect, negligent. And the majority of those are family members because these happen at home, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I'm a firm believer that that along with our Second Amendment right comes a tremendous moral responsibility to do no harm to someone that is not trying to harm us. And uh, whether it's, you know, you mentioned family members storing that firearm safely, handling that firearm safely. If, you, if you're married and have two or three children running around the house, the likelihood of a tragic outcome to a negligent discharge uh, goes up tremendously. Yeah, Justin had mentioned adding things in and building other skill sets or, or, or factors and problems into your training, and it kind of gets you out of that rhythm. Um, one of the ones that I always saw with uh, new recruits, and it was it was the thing I always look look for with them. Um, you know, you finish a course of fire, commands given, unload and holster an empty weapon, lock the slide to the rear, visually and physically check the gun. And I know it seems silly, but you know it's like the the twenty two you're talking about mm-hmm. at the house. I want you to do that for me. I don't care if you can see there that that it's clear. I can't see if you're the third person down on my line. So I want to see that finger go in and yes, and then I drop the slide and holster. Um, The the one that I would see kids do, uh, especially if you're shooting uh, and, and calling a cease before they've run dry, um, is I've seen so many kids slingshot that slide, drop the magazine, mm-hmm. and go to holster. Yeah. And it's like, guys, you just you just put a hot Loaded. gun away. So actually, that's <laughs> what happened on my friend that was cleaning his Glock. Uh, what he did was he racked it yep. first to remove the round from the chamber, then removed his magazine. Yeah, and we all know what that does. Well, it, it's just, it's really important that you establish your your checklist, mm-hmm. whether that's a mental checklist or it's something that you have with your stuff as you're going to break your gun down or whatever that I can do point one, point two, point three, point four. This is how I break my gun down. You know, all all makes and models have, have different ways to take them down. Um, uh, the one we talk about specifically is is the Glock because it's the one we issued to recruits for so many years. It was the first semi-auto so gun. Everybody that we has one. Yeah, and, the, and it's a huge selling gun. Um, but you have to, you have to depress that trigger and, mm-hmm. and otherwise you're not gonna be able to take the slide off the frame. It's just, yeah. it's just the way it's put together. Um, you know, just you know, one of the other things is chicks dig scars. They don't <laughs> they don't dig ND scars. As a matter of fact, that repulses them. So. You sure don't want to have to explain a, how you got that scar. Uh, I got one interesting story. We had Jamie Caldwell uh, is a friend of ours, and we had him out here for a class. Jamie was uh, in Delta for I don't know, fifteen, sixteen, eighteen years something like that. Um, and in that unit, if you have an ND, no matter where, no matter when, no matter, there are no excuses, you're gone. You're out of the unit. Um, and he was talking about, um, I noticed when he would clear his pistol, he would rack the slide multiple times quickly. Mm-hmm. And I had seen other people do that, but the other people I had seen do that, I think were doing it more for effect then I never did hear a reason to do that until I talked to Jamie about it. And I asked him, I said, why do you do that? And he said, the reason he does that 
is he's seen guys forget to drop the mag. So they'll go to, they're, they're done, whatever they're going to do. They, they pass saturation, whatever. They forget to drop the mag. They rack the slide. Bang. Yeah. I've seen that happen in USPSA matches many times because at the end of the stage, the commands are unload, show clear. So you're supposed to unload, rack the slide, check clear. When you, you confirm to the RO that it's clear, they'll say slide forward, hammer down, holster. Guys get in a hurry, and I've seen guys unload and show clear. They rack the slide, they let it go, they point it, drop the hammer, bang, their day's done. Yeah. But uh, his thing was, if that happened and you did not uh, drop the mag, by racking that three or four times real quick, it's impossible to miss a rain of brass coming out of your gun. And that's exactly <laughs> what it would look like going that fast. It's just like a big thing, right? And fireworks going off in front of your face. And it made a lot of sense. So that's, something to think about. Yeah, that's a, and we taught the same thing on the tactical unit. And I do that as a matter of routine. And speaking of routines, you know, to offer some guidance on how to avoid a negligent discharge, you have to build those routines in, in gun handling. Anybody that's ever watched me on the range, as soon as I go on the range, my trigger finger, I, I exaggerate it and pull it out to the side. Mm -hmm. Once the gun's in my hand, if I'm not shooting, I go to the high register. But I mentally, as soon as I walk onto the range, I start thinking, finger off the trigger, finger off the trigger, finger off the trigger. And I go through a mental refresher almost of those safety rules. If you practice those disciplines and, and, and develop those habits of gun handling and then apply those four basic rules of safe gun handling, you have mitigated the chance of harm significantly. You've mitigated the chance of a negligent discharge significantly, let alone the chance of harm. I just uh, took a course this weekend with the uh, guys from Fieldcraft, Tyson and Nick out here in California. <laughs> and um, one of the guys actually teaches at the academy for the CHP. He's their handgun instructor. But, you know, 18 other guys on the range out there, and you can see the different levels. And, you know, right off the bat, it seems like a giant pain in the rear. Every course you go to, the first hour is safety briefing, right? over and over and over again. And this is a higher level class where, you know, everybody should be associated with that, but they have to cover their backs. And as I'm watching the groups shoot, you know, you got guys moving station to station, figuring on the trigger, you, you know, why? Because they're like performing. Okay, here's the sale. We're gonna call threat, you draw your weapon, you run to this barricade, you do this, you do that, you reload here. You know, they're making up these, these drills and the guy's focused on the drill, but forgetting the basics, right, right off the bat. And Rob, I see him, I see Rob getting the, how many thousands of times did you see that on the range, right? Yeah, Rob? for sure. You know, Absolutely. they get focused on something else and they drop the basics. <clears throat> well, that's, again, that kind of gets back into that complacency. To me, you, when you hear that first safety briefing, you're almost wanting to take notes. The 400th time you've heard it, you're just, it's going in one ear and out the other. Right. But if you right. have, have developed in your range sessions this um, a, almost a habit of how you're going to <laughs> handle that firearm. I try to, if I grip a firearm, pick it up to clean it, move it, carry it, whatever, I grip it the same way every time. And like I say, I exaggerate the finger out. When the gun's in my hand, I put the finger on, at high register. Um, and the other thing... Uh, another thing that can happen, you know, uh, shooting multiple styles of firearms. You know, maybe you started with the Glock and then you moved to the Walther and now you're on the SIG or now you're uh, Justin Staccato. But everything's got different manipulations. And, you know, how many rounds do you have with each of those firearms? Yeah. That familiarity. Yeah. And, that's why, and that's why that is, those basic principles are so important because those four safety rules apply regardless of the platform. And if you've developed that handling, yeah, there'll be different 
techniques or mechanisms that you have to manipulate with a Glock versus a 1911. But if you're practicing that, that finger off the trigger until you're ready to shoot, it don't matter if it's a Glock or 1911, most modern firearms are not going to go off on their own. <clears throat> well, and, and we're talking about something that can cause tremendous injury or death. It's not like I'm a painter and if, if I get a little lax and, 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 and I spill paint, you know, I can go back and clean it up or, or maybe I ruin sure. something that, that's can't, not a big deal. You can't, paint, you can't paint outside the lines with the firearm. No, that's, that's exactly the thing. It's, it's just one of those that uh, these things are so important for the safety of, of the handler or anybody else that's in the vicinity. Um, it's just a critical task. Um, let's go ahead and take a quick break. Uh, we'll hear from Don West real quick and we will be right back. Thank you. Hi, I'm Don West, National Trial Counsel for CCW Safe and a board certified criminal trial lawyer. The financial cost of defending a self-defense case involving serious injury or death may surprise you. I know this firsthand from personal experience. Attorney's fees alone can be several hundred thousand dollars, but that's not all. You need money and plenty of it for private investigators, expert witnesses, and of course, to pay the bail bond company so you can get out of jail. All this could easily add up to four or $500,000 or more, especially if it's a high profile case. Without the money you need to put on your best defense, you're at a terrible disadvantage to an aggressive prosecutor, and consequently, you have a greater risk of being wrongfully convicted. That's why CCW Safe doesn't put limits on attorney's fees or trial expenses like most other plans do. So when comparing companies, take a minute, read the fine print, you can be confident <clears throat> that with CCW Safe, the money will be there when you need it. Welcome back. You know, um, with, go with, ahead. With Don, yeah, with Don West, it's kind of interesting because you never want to have to use him, but if you have to use somebody, you want to use him. Right? <laughs> I mean, it's yeah. I enjoy every yeah. every time I get to sit down and visit with Don. But to to go along with what he said, those same expenses, if you accidentally shoot your neighbor, or accidentally shoot a, a family member. Those same expenses are going to apply, and uh, it was an accident doesn't uh, carry a whole lot of weight in a court of law. No. They assume that if you are going to take the uh, exercise your right to possess a firearm, you're going to have to do it uh, with 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 safety in mind and concern for others. Yeah. That's, that's an Hi, interesting I'm Don point. West. Oh, National sorry. My bad, guys. I screwed up. Go ahead, Phil. What were you going to say, buddy? Well, is there is there a standard of competence that you're required to have in a court of law? I mean, obviously, we want to have as many people carry as possible. We have done nothing but say, get trained, train all the time. We still train all the time, 20, 30 years into shooting careers. You're still training all the time. But is there a standard of expertise in the law that's required of a gun owner or handler? Reasonable would be the only standard that I'm familiar with. So if you're handling a gun in a reasonable manner, um, but if the problem is if you have a negligent discharge, most likely you were not handling it in a reasonable manner. It's almost prima facie evidence yeah. of negligence if there's a bad result. I just wanted to touch on uh, one thing before we move on to brandishing, and it goes back to the gun handling thing, and we actually talked about it last week, Rob and Phil, and that is one of the, the most dangerous things I see constantly is reholstering. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And 
that that's something that I think people, you know, there's that famous video of the guy holstering a 1911 and, and oh, I shot myself. Yeah. You know, um, a million views. He's famous now. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> but that's happened yeah. a lot. Yeah, absolutely. And just to me, you know, especially if I'm running inside the waistband, you know, I clear the <laughs> garment, make sure there's nothing in the way, look the gun into the holster, make sure, you know, your fingers straighten off the trigger, make sure there's nothing impeding that's going to get caught in there. Clocks are real bad for that. And if anything gets between that holster and that trigger guard and you put push down four and a half, five pounds of pressure, that gun will go off. So I, I had another good friend on the police department following a drug raid, reholstering, got his finger in the trigger guard. Uh, the act of reholstering, his finger contacted the holster, which mm -hmm. put pressure against the trigger. He shot himself. Uh, he, he had a long recovery. He didn't have uh, uh, long-term effects from it once he recovered, but it, it could have been uh, much more tragic. And I want to point out something real quick. There is a great article written by Steve Moses that we shared back in July of 2019. Mm -hmm. uh, if you go to the news section on our website, it's called 12 Reasons Why Negligent Discharges Happen. And he talks about reholstering. I think statistically that's one of the highest probabilities uh, events for a negligent discharge is reholstering. Um, I've been uh, I've been experimenting with a few different holsters, and it's interesting to me. I've got one for a CZ ninety seven, but the design on the Kydex that goes against your body is narrow. I don't know if he's trying to cut weight or make it look nice or something like that, but it's narrow. And I've seen as I've gone, just like my t-shirt get snagged between yep. the, the gun and the holster on that particular model. It's like, man, I, I like the way that holster felt, but this is yeah. a disaster waiting to happen, especially that 97, you know, it's, it's a, a single action, double action or double action, single action. So if, if you reholster, you know, Anyway, yeah. it could be a really bad issue, but I've yeah. seen that that particular well, design. And so this is something that when you get your holster, when you figure out your rig, you need to, with a dry gun, practice reholstering, see if it has those issues. And, you know, if you're holstering 20 times and four times you have that issue, throw that thing away. It's not for you. Whatever reason, your body type, the angle you're carrying it at, it's going to give you an issue, you know. Put it's it on well, eBay, send yeah. it down the road to somebody else, but don't don't carry something that has shown an effect that could be detrimental to your health. That's why most professional firearms instructors will inspect your holster and make a determination whether you can use it or not. I, when uh, Cops, I was one for a long, long time. Cops tend to be cheap and they don't want to spend top dollar on something unless they can get a discount. I'm, I'm guilty. But, well, I just want a discount. But to show up at a range with a suede holster that you have to dig with the muzzle of the gun to re uh, to reholster is just uh, you know spend 50 bucks instead of 5 bucks for a holster and you, and you lower your risk of self injury or potential civil and criminal liability yeah absolutely um Moving forward, uh, Phil and I have touched on this multiple times. Um, the responsibility that we were talking about earlier of carrying a firearm is tremendous. Um, and one of the things I like to tell guys that say, yeah, I'm going to start carrying. That's great. I, I love that you're going to do that. Make sure you got the right equipment. Make sure you have proper training and learn to check your emotions. Um, you don't have, you don't have the right to respond emotionally anymore. Um, that's what gets so many guys tied up and in trouble. The fact that I have a firearm, firearm, you know, and Phil talked about Justin last week. Justin is a big man. Um, 
He could be physically imposing. He could be intimidating if you don't know him. He's a great guy. But all of a sudden, I got this mountain of a man, and I'm scared to death, and, and something emotional has happened here. And just the fact that I'm afraid of this guy or intimidated, you know, does not mean that now's the time for me to raise my shirt up and start going, I got a gun. Uh, that, that firearm is not for you to, to scare somebody with. I, I use a firearm because I'm afraid I'm going to die if I don't, if I don't put it into action. Outside of you have that, to stop an action. You're using your firearm to stop an action. It's not a mm-hmm. shield to hide behind. Correct. Because <clears throat> and you know before we before we came on today, Phil was asking a question, referencing you know what is brandishing, and we always we always tell you guys, it's really critical that you understand the laws where you live, and brandishing is one of those things that is so vastly different depending on where you live in the country. Um, like I was just talking about, um, I get intimidated. I'm afraid something's going to happen. And I raise my shirt up real quick. You know, I got a gun in some places that act alone is brandishing and felony in many states and a felony. That's right. It's, it can be aggravated assault because I'm using a firearm. Um, the other end of that is, if I'm doing it because I think it might scare him away, number one, I don't know if he's armed as well. And all of a sudden, he really knows how to use his stuff. And I've made this threat with a firearm, and now I am in a gunfight. Um, and not only that, but you're on the wrong end because you're the aggressor. When the dust settles, the officer's going to say, Why did you shoot him? He pulled up his gun and threatened me. Yes. What am I going to do? Right? Yeah, I, I cannot be the initiator of that violent action and expect to go in front of a, a, a jury and go, but I was defending myself. No, you weren't, you were afraid. And you started that action. You started the thing in motion. That's the thing that we have to be cognizant of and, and understand. And I'll back down to anybody. I don't need to, I don't need to prove myself. I don't need to fight. I've, I've done that in my life. Um, I'm perfectly okay with, with conceding and telling you that, yeah, you'll, you'll probably mop the floor with me. I'm call me any name you want. Yeah. I'm, I, I back down. I'm, I'm not, yes, you win. If you, if you know, Rob, folks, um, it's really good for the other guy that he backs down. (laughs) The guy will walk straighter a lot longer than if he, if he actually, stepped up to Rob. So it's, it's Rob, you're helping him live a long and fruitful life by uh, backing down. It's, that's yeah. the way that works. You know, maybe we could break it down into a couple of things when you're carrying, you know, everybody wants anachronisms. So something like there's three different T's. You need to have your, your technique. You need to be able to be competent with your firearm, right? That's what everybody trains is being taught, being competent with their firearm. That's all the range time is hitting zeros, hitting the silhouettes, right. loading, <coughs> The other thing is tactics, you know, um, maybe you should plan better than to go to downtown at two o'clock in the morning to fill up your gas tank on the day of the protest. Yeah. 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 Don't. Yeah, exactly. So your tactics are your awareness and putting yourself in harm's way or not is, is a good tactic. The other one is the temperament. And that's what we're talking about here. If you're carrying a firearm, it is your responsibility to check yourself. If, if you got into a hands-on scuffle over a parking space because the other guy just wouldn't back down, that's one thing. But if you're in a hands-on scuffle because there's issues and you're carrying a gun and this other guy is like just in the mountain and he disarms you, that's a whole, you know, you really need to be meek and mild uh, while you're carrying your firearm because the use of that firearm is going to change your life materially one way or the other. Yeah. Well, it's going to change it materially. Uh, you, you, if you have CCW safe, you might survive that. If you don't, you're, you're in a world of hurt, even though you saved your life and you did the right thing. An aggressive DA, you know, it just, there's so many factors that can go against you. And it comes down to 
hey, it was the parking lot. The guy screaming at you over the parking, uh, you took his space or whatever. It's like, you know what? Hey, I apologize, man. You know, hey, let me get you a cup of coffee, whatever. I didn't see you. I really apologize. I'm going to back out. I'll back out. And the guy who says, no, it's all right. Okay, fine. I was thinking about this uh, very thing the other day. And when I was younger. Would you cut that guy off in the parking lot? No, but (laughs) I've been in some of those incidents. Yeah. Um, some of which ended up physical a long time ago. But um, I thought about the stuff I had seen personally, some of the other larger high-profile events that turned from nothing into somebody spending the rest of their life in prison. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I thought about, I couldn't think of any where if the person would have just left, yeah. shut up, don't engage just realize what you're on the edge of and just leave, just, yeah. just leave. And, you know, I'm not saying, you know, I'm not talking about if somebody tried to rob you and just giving them all your stuff. I'm not talking about right. that. I'm talking about parking lot altercations, road rage. The only time I've pointed a gun at anybody in real life was a road rage situation where a guy chased me down and blocked my car off yeah. close. I've ever come to shooting somebody. And I would have shot him. And he got out, saw I had the gun pointed at him because I couldn't, I didn't have anywhere else to go at that point. My car was blocked. So in my mind, his act of blocking my car with his vehicle and basically running me off the road was the initiation of force. And I made up my mind. I got my, had my gun ready. I said, if this guy comes out of the car with a gun, I'm shooting. And luckily I called the cops after that happened, told them about it. They came out and were like, well, okay. Which is is a whole nother issue that we could devote a a podcast to. Right. Is if it's worth pulling your gun, it's worth calling the police. It's worth calling 911. And to kind of. It's defensive. Yeah. To go along with what you're talking about, the parking lot altercation, stand your ground is not an order. Mm -hmm. That's not an edict that you must follow. Stand your ground gives you a legal right when the when other options are starting to fade. But there are times where you shouldn't stand your ground. You should just uh, avoid, leave. Yeah, if you can just leave, that's it. You win. You won that situation. You want the parking space? Take the parking space. I'll find you know, and and it's it's ego, right? Nobody wants to like say your wife's there. You don't want to be the guy who backs down somebody else from his wife, and maybe the wife's saying like, "You're going to take that from him." You know, all those things rip up emotion. Yeah, and that's that's you know our our COO Stan Campbell has a saying that uh, don't do anything with that firearm that you wouldn't do without that firearm. Don't let that be your your courage yeah. to go. No, I'm I, that is my parking place. You need to almost practice the opposite. A lot more giving, so you can avoid that potential outcome. Is that parking so space? Saying, let, let them have the parking space. When he goes in the store, go out there and let the air out of the tires. Right, there you go. Don't cut them. <laughs> uh, Don't cut them. Don't but, cut them. Don't injure the tire. Absolutely. Is that parking space worth spending the next two <sighs> years in criminal, civil, or both litigation? Yeah. And then and that's potentially. Hmm? And that's if you win, right? Yeah. You're in that litigation. You're in that nightmare of of the unknown and, and dealing with legal system. And you're in a nightmare of that. That's if you win, it's only a few years. It's the rest of your life if you're found guilty. There's very few wins in a court of law. If, if you've ever noticed on a criminal case, both sides are generally unhappy. Yeah. One side says there was not enough. The other side said there was too much or something like that. There isn't a win. And there's a win. If there is a win, it's at a tremendous cost. Yeah. Financial restrictions on your freedom. Steve Maddox, after his incident, spent uh, two years on an ankle monitor, only allowed to go from home to work uh, and back. That was it. Uh, I, I enjoy 
doing things too much to spend two years of my uh, life under court restrictions. One other thing I wanted to bring up was um, this is the way I've started looking at this thing. If you look at these incidents like we do and you research them and you watch all of the videos, um, many times uh, it is sometimes it's, you know, forgive my language, but it's a case of when assholes collide, mm -hmm. you know, and you just get two people that have issues meet, happen to meet at the same time and place, things spin out of control. Other times you will see, you know, you have, and I think we've all seen this in our lives. We may even know some of these people, these people that always seem to have bad things happen to them, always seem to be in dramatic situations, yeah. you know, and there's one constant in all of these situations and it's that person. Yeah. When we, I've made up in, in my mind after, you know, seeing it over the years that, as soon as you get away from that person, whatever it takes to get away from them, your life becomes much easier. Yeah. And so that means if you run into that and, you know, you start looking at people like that, you know, yes, it's judging or classifying, whatever you want to call it. But, you know, I call it preservation. But, you know, if you get into something with someone and you have that sense in your mind right when it starts, like someone's confrontational with you or you can tell like, this person's not rational. Yeah. You know, <clears throat> do whatever yeah. it takes to get out of there. Leave. Yeah. Don't let it escalate because they want to escalate it. They're looking for that. Yeah. And don't fan those fires. How yeah. many, how many times have you seen people get into a road rage incident and then immediately start giving the one finger salute, uh, and the brake checking and that sort of thing. Disengage, fall back. Speed forward. Do something to get away yeah, from yeah. that person. Take the next turn. Take the next exit. <clears throat> and the thing that you know that I've told myself is, you know, because it's it's hard, man. To to it really, you have to, you know, you want to. Any normal person wants to rear up, and everybody's got pride and ego. Mm -hmm. But the way I look at it is, I've seen long enough that the world generally takes care of those people. Yeah. You don't have to do it. Yeah. Like. Their life's pretty bad in the first place, which is why they are the way they are. Right. So it's like, I'm not going to let that impact my life and make my life like their life, yeah. you know? So that's just something to think about. Absolutely. You know, one of, one of the other things I want to, want to touch on, um, Gary had mentioned it earlier is, is you've not been able to disengage. You've not been able to get away from whatever, uh, be the one to call and notify the police. Be the one that is the responsible reporting person in the, in the, in the altercation to whatever degree it, it went. Uh, it's just, it's way better than the other guy getting down the road and calling in and the next thing you know, the police are showing up at your door because the guy happened to get a picture of you and your tag or whatever else. And now you've got explaining to do. Um, it's way easier to get ahead of that. That being said, if you have one of those incidents, it is not a big deal to go ahead and take that next step and notify us. Whatever major or minor conflict you're involved in, if it's not something where somebody is gravely injured or dying, it's not emergent. Call in to, to support. Um, they'll they'll get everything patched through to us, and we can we can start working on that. It makes things so much more difficult when all of a sudden it's a weekend, and suddenly the police are showing up and maybe making an arrest. And all of a sudden, it's like, oh yeah, uh, I need my wife to call CCW safe. I probably need their help now, and it's like we could have been so far ahead of this and, and maybe cut some of that off if we'd have had some understanding beforehand. Um, I don't know if it's the fear of, you know, you're going to be in trouble or something, but, but give us the heads up so that we can at least start looking into the, the incident and, and formulating a response if there's going to be one. 
And it shows it shows reasonableness on, yes. the, on the part of you as a member. Yeah. If you call nine one one and say, "Hey, this is not a big deal, but this guy's driving like a maniac. He cut me off. He tried to engage me. I, I disengaged." Yes. If something happens down the road, you, your actions are, are viewed as reasonable. That yes. you followed right. the steps. Whereas if you, oh, I was scared for my life. Did you call nine one one? Well, no. Well, how well, scared were you? Then? And the other thing that that nine one one call is a recorded conversation, and, and it's documented, and that's part of that's part of the history. That's part of of backing up your claim, right? Then. So it's a big deal. You know, maybe one day we should do a show on on when to engage too, right? So the other day here in Southern California, I'm coming off the freeway, and of course, there's a, a free range felon. Um, troll underneath the bridge standing there with a machete. Now I'm in my car, my door's locked and I have access to leave. So I'm like, man, this is not a good thing. So I just dialed 911 as I drove away, gave a description, you know, oh, and said, go have fun guys. You know, you got a free range felon running around with a machete down there underneath the freeway overpass. Yeah. Yeah. And so I had zero call to engage in that, right? there was zero purpose for me to ever get out of the car and do anything other than just report that. Um, anyway, so that I'm just yeah. saying you need to know when to, when to get engaged and when to leave. Well, yeah. and a call like that is something that's really almost insignificant. Um, but it may be the thing that you get a patrol guy that's close that swings by and, he he goes ahead and and makes contact with the guy, and he may have just saved something critical from happening. Um, I don't you know, think he was harvesting know. bananas or coconut. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. The when to engage question is the million dollar question. Yeah, that's and we get, we get uh, brandishing is our our top claim by far. Yeah, and we routinely get questions. If this happens, can I do, can I shoot, can I draw, can I do this? The situation's going to define when you can. And it's, you know, for us, we're not really able to tell you, well, at this point, no, but now at this point, yes. That, uh, you you know, that, that reasonableness standard comes back in. Would a reasonable person in your situation feel that that was a imminent threat of great bodily injury or death. Yeah. And if the answer to that is yes, then you've acted in accordance with the law. If the answer to that is no, you're facing potential brandishing or yeah. possibly worse, depending on how the situation. Uh, I mean, like in that situation, if I was walking on the sidewalk and he crosses over the street and starts coming towards you. That's a whole different thing, right? You don't have yes. access, especially with a with a bad leg. You're not going to outrun anybody. Yeah. So yeah, maybe we should look at that later. But very good. Yeah. Well, we thank you guys for joining us again. Um, it's always an honor to get to, get to speak with you. Um, as always, if you have any questions, comments, concerns. Uh, you can reach me directly at rob at ccwsafe.com. Um, we appreciate you guys tuning in, and we look forward to seeing you again next week. See you, Phil. Have a great week, guys. Bye, guys.